I would love to do just a show on Gase. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Gase. I just need to talk about this man. That's need to. That's need to. Welcome to this latest edition of <laughs> the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix. I'm your serial Joe Quinn, as always, joined by one Robert Sapp. How you doing, yeah. sir? Doing well. Doing well. We are here to wrap up season two. We're going to do back-to-back episodes, um, Bad Dreams, and then finish it up, of course, with A Port of a Storm, A Port in a Storm, which was, of course, the season finale of season two. Um, Bad Dreams. Episode 11 was directed by one Ernest Dickerson. Yes, that Ernest Dickerson. Um, written by, story by George Pelicanos. Canos. The reason why I mentioned it is because he always does the penultimate episodes every season of The Wire, so you know the episode's going to be a beast when he shows up writing the story. Um, finally, they get some love from episode from Vulture. Vulture had this episode ranked eighth, yeah. eighth all time. Uh, only episode of season two ranked in the top ten. Uh, so and so in this episode, it's a good one. It's, it's a good one. one. It's a tremendous episode. It's a great episode. They, they had to give this episode something. And of course, the epigraph, Francis Sabaka, Frank Sabaka. I need to get clean. And there'll be so many things to say about that when we get there, because it is like really frank. Now, now, now you need to get clean. Yeah. <laughs> everybody wants to. Everybody wants to repent, get clean, and everything at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Now you want to get clean, yeah. Frank. When the FBI's burnt, burnt <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get the Mr. We'll get the Mr. Uh, a lot. <laughs> this, this was his. This was his episode. Uh, themes. I one that just stood out, and it, it was very simple to me. Regret, a lot of regret in this yep. episode. Uh, opening scene, we had a montage of Nick in bed with uh, Prissy. So, if you remember the girl that he uh, previously had got drunk with on the not the Ferris wheel, but the uh, merry-go-round, they were telling Ziggy stories. So, wherever they had a bottle of, it led to them get, going to bed. Um, so he's in bed with her as, you know, in his parents' basement, of course, as, um, well, no, not his parents, it was over her house. His parents, his parents got raided. So he was, he was over her house as his parents were being raided by the cops. You see the Greeks warehouses being raided. Uh, you see double George, double D's, G stores being, uh, broken, being raided. You see, uh, white Mike, Eton and Sergey all get arrested. And you see Nick's parents, along with his girlfriend, finally get exposed to what Nick was doing. As of course, was move, moving weight, selling drugs. The cops not only raid their house; they show, they show the family, um, mother and father, and Nick's girlfriend, all the drugs and money that Nick had been hiding. Uh, Nick had been making. He was, of course, hiding it in the basement. So, a lot going on in this opening uh, montage of um, musical montage uh, to kind of just show you how, you know, show you how, how everything is coming to a head. The chickens have come home to roost, for lack of a better phrase. And uh, great, uh, great opening to this episode. It let you know there was going to be some, it was going to be a, 
a power, a lot going on in this particular episode as they were trying to somewhat not wrap up some things, but you know, really, you were, you know, we're we're at the end, nearing the end, and you can tell by the start of this uh, this opening montage. What were your thoughts? Yeah, so everything. A couple of things need to be uh, said. Um, one is uh, I haven't talked the wire in two weeks. So I apologize in advance for how much I'm going to talk. Um, <laughs> the second is um, when I was watching the scene, like the whole entire episode is great, great scene. When I was watching the scene, the thing that like popped into my mind, oddly enough, was um, you know how I, so what popped in my head, oddly enough, was Breaking Bad. And then the reason that that popped in, in my head was, you know how when Breaking Bad was coming out, I will always say to you, Breaking Bad has done the be was the best example of a show holding its characters accountable for their actions. Um, so that was always my sense. And so when I was watching this episode again, I was just like, no, The Wire did it first. This is about accountability. Like, a reckoning is coming for all of the characters in this episode who have that reckoning coming. Um, and so um, it just made me think about like how smart this show was and how, uh, how it really, really, really was about like the choices and the actions um, that a real person might make in this, this made up in this made up world. And so, um, so that's why I started thinking what literally made me think of that is just the way that the, how the actor of Nick, the, the, the actor who played Nick Sabaka, just the way his body looked walking up to his house, the, the way it was shot and framed. With oh, the no, we got, no, we got that's not the beginning. That meant, that no, we, no, we not there yet. He was oh, in, I uh, I jumped. He was in bed with the girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the montage. Right, the montage. Just opening montage. I jumped. Yep. My bad. Um, so uh so the kind yeah, yeah, I know exactly what, what so in thinking about what happened last episode, right? And so between him and her, right, like like the way that the episode ends, you're kind of like, oh, like you're feeling bad for them. And then we get this episode, the beginning of this episode. And then it's like, uh, the, the way that the actor, I know exactly where I was going, the way that the actor's face looked when he woke up next to her, right? Like said it all. It, was just, it wasn't just the regret of the next morning. It was a regret of drinking too much. It's the regret of a lifetime of poor choices that have led up to this moment. And that the moment, like, life wasn't going to get better. Like, it's like, really, it's one of those, you wake up, it's just like, ah, oh, the worst is still yet to come. And that was the kind of moment that, that, that was given to us there. Yeah, there's just a lot going on in that opening montage. Um, and I, yeah, with the red, you know, to your point, yeah, the, the characters always in the story are held accountable always in the story that that's one thing, one thing consistent about the wire is the characters are going to be held accountable. Um, 
sooner or later. And you saw definitely saw that in this uh, opening montage. So Frank sees Ziggy's newspaper, sees Ziggy, Ziggy's picture in the newspaper as the FBI is watching him. Valchek is in the car with the, with the FBI agents. Um, Frank now, you know, just, uh, just that idea of seeing your son uh, in a newspaper being charged for, you know, murder. Uh, I can only imagine what was going through his mind. Uh, just having to look at his one, you know, having to look at that picture. Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, that's that's challenging for for any father to. Yeah, that's that that'd be tough challenge challenging setup. Also setup. Yes. Yeah. No question. So yeah, the detail, Daniels Russell. Detailed uh, with all with Daniels and Russell, they realized that Ziggy was killed, uh, that Ziggy killed Double G. Daniels, of course, is besides himself because he calls over to Western, he calls, he calls to the uh, Western District and heads over there because remember, he was killed a day and a half before they uh, found out. So they find out, they found out late. Of course, Daniels. You know they're working. This is the case. They're working for. The, they're working for the Western. You know, for the Western, for about for uh, walls and trying to clear these murders. So again, Daniels was heated to say the least um, that he didn't get a call from Landsman, from Landsman, and he storms out the uh, storms out the office, headed over uh, to go see Landsman at the Western District uh, as Herc and Garvin are coming in. He barely even acknowledges them. Uh, as as they they're coming in, as he's going out and they're coming in, uh, what were your thoughts on um, on this? Um, this I think this is a little bit more. This is more set up. There's more to discuss later on. Yeah, yeah. Frank and Horseface discussing Ziggy's lawyer. Um, which, what, what type of lawyer Ziggy uh, Ziggy's going to get? The union hall gets raided by the FBI and Valchek, and you know, Valchek just it just takes it. You know, this was he's been waiting for this moment the entire season uh, to to bust Frank and to just really embarrass him. So he find he gets his revenge from that standpoint. Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, I agree with that. That that he was waiting. This is this this is his shiny moment. This this is what he wanted, um, and so he wasn't gonna let anything ruin that ruin that for him. Um, and so yeah 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 yeah. This is this is Frank Frank. This is Frank's reckoning. There will be more. Certainly, there'll be more to come from this uh, particular scene as well. Um, uh, in a, in a couple of, in a few minutes. You have Frank, uh, you have Nick finally going home to a raided house. Uh, father, father tells him they have a warrant for his arrest in the Southeast District. Um, as he's walking into his house or walking up to his house, the neighbors uh, are, you know, looking dead, you know, looking dead at him uh, and it, you know, it, you could just, <laughs> you could sense the 
embarrassment uh, by Nick as he's going up uh, those steps to, you know, to go into the house. Like, everybody's looking at him. It, seems, it clearly is a close-knit community as far as everybody, just in terms of just everybody knows everybody. Like, it's like one, it's one of those communities, one of those neighborhoods, yeah, you know, so for the, you know, for his parents to get their houses raided in like that in front of everybody, uh, it, you know, pretty, you know, Nick basically had to do, you know, the walk of shame of going into his own house, which is something that, you know, none of us ever wanted, <laughs> would want to do, you know, considering that it's your house or use the place that you grew up in. And now it's a place that you basically, I'm sure at his thoughts were wanted, sure wanted no part of going into that, going into that place, going to that house. But yeah, of course he had no choice but to. He goes in there and he sees again, you know, the house just being, just basically, you know, torn to pieces. Mother crying. Um, father says, hey, they have a warrant and tells him that they, uh, you know, they took it all in terms of the money and, and the drugs. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, um, this is what I was alluding to a little bit earlier, where um, you have you have the actor who's playing um, who's playing Nick. Um, just like the like the way the way that the episode or the way that the scene was shot, and just kind of like having. Um, you have the neighbors just kind of like having that look on their face at first. And then you have Nick who just kind of like has the, like sees that and just has like the weight of the world. And so like, even no matter the weight of the world on him, even no matter how, how much he thought the day was going to suck <laughs> when he got, when he woke up, he, it was even worse. It was even worse than, than what, than what he, than what he even he even thought um and so uh yeah man i mean it's just like you just got like this this um you got like this ever present feeling of big time consequences and so like that it just kept kept it just kept ratcheting up the tension and again like I just I keep thinking back to Breaking Bad I really do um and just being like a how how ahead of the time this show was because I think to the episode where you know where Walter um where everything comes to call all the chickens come home to roost um and all of the secrets that Walter had been told had been telling and was and and where that ended up and how intense that felt in that episode of everything, like that was four seasons leading up to that. And that was the central theme of the entire show. This is one season with yeah. one character or a couple characters, right? And they built all of this and created an arc. What I will say about season two, I've said it. One, I, I have changed a variety of my opinions they have evolved and matured over the years, but I said this then, and I will say it now on the record. Season two of The Wire is the best arc of any season in television, period. Meaning it started from fresh, from one, and then ended within one entire season. 
There's no other show that's done season that's done a season two. There's no other show that would have the balls to do a season two. Completely yeah, I, I think go away from your character. But that's not what all of this is about. <laughs> I just I just wanted to like I needed to say that to say that's why all of this works so well and that's why this episode is so special. Even within the context of a great show like The Wire, this season is special for one reason, and this show is special within the special with this within this special season for a reason, and it's because they handled the emotional arcs of all of its characters so well. In particular, Nick Sabaka, and it's all felt in this moment. The world is coming down around him, and we feel that. Yeah, I think you you might have mentioned it earlier in the season. I'm sure you did. Is without I I don't think it's not even a question that is the most courageous season in television history, uh, considering where they were coming from with season one and considering the storylines that took a back seat in order for them to, to, to get into the docks and, and, and the unions and things of that nature. Um, and also, uh, you know, with Nick, it, it just goes to show you the, you know, just the amount of collateral damage that was done with the choices of Nick and Frank, like, you know, innocent people were affected. Like you, you're talking about um, Ziggy, Z, you know, Ziggy, Ziggy was, and we'll get to Ziggy, we'll certainly, we'll, we'll get to Ziggy a little bit more and uh, further on, but, you know, beginning of the season, Ziggy's just, you know, he's just, you know, not the class clown, but he's just a regular, you know, regular, 21 year old, 20 year old doofus or whatever in terms of that. He's, he's not, he's not, a, he was no criminal. So you talk about how he gets affected. And then you talk about Nick's parents, father, hardworking father, retired mom, you know, housewife just wants to, you know, just, they, they just want to live regular lives. And they, you know, and they had no idea or no clue whatsoever about, about what their son was doing. And again, I don't blame his father or mother at all. He made, Nick made his own choices. And his father, of course, we, as we all know, wanted, wanted no part of that whatsoever. Father is clear as a whistle. But uh, it's just, just that collateral damage of how, many, of how many people are affected around you with those choices that were made. So you had, um, Frank, the FBI, and Valchek. You have Frank with Horseface. You have Frank and Horseface arrested, or you have Horse Frank arrested in front of the media. Uh, if, you, if you notice, David Simon was in with one of the media members, real quick, just briefly. So, as a matter of fact, you might even ask a question. He's one of the media members. And again, it's just, it's Valchek just taking all this in, saying, you know, uh, basically standing him up so he can all the cameras can see his face um and 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 frank you know basically having to do similar and basically similar to uh nick having to do that walk of shame as the you know, as the consequences are finally as, as all their seasons were for consequences that finally caught up to all uh this is a quick scene what were your thoughts on it um, yeah, quick scene. I mean, like, so the thing that's going on with 
Frank and Valchek in this episode is tragic. And each scene is to deepen that tragedy. Um, and I will talk more, I'll string all these scenes together when we get to the end or to more towards the end. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So we got Daniels and Lansman. So Daniels goes down to the, gets to the Western District. Um, mentioned earlier, he was, of course, came out, he was, he was hot coming out of the, uh, yep. coming, out, coming out of the police station, uh, coming out where the, where, where the headquarters is at for, uh, for the union, for the unit. So he absolutely lays into Landsman, rightfully so. Um, Landsman uh, did not, for whatever reason, didn't make the connection between that uh, Ziggy, Ziggy murder and Double G, and the fact that they were work that that Daniels was working that particular case for whatever reason. And again, this was this was, this was happened a day and a half earlier, which, in an investigation of this magnitude, is a lifetime. Like that, like that's like a day and a half by that, like that. You know, that's the difference between. Like, that would be the that is the difference between closing an investigation and the investigation just run off the rails. Uh, what could have been done had they known sooner? So of course, uh, Daniels is hot. He asked uh, Lansman about the scene. Also asked him about you know the interrogation. Uh, Lansman discussed you know dis discusses Ziggy's interrogation um, uh, with uh, with Daniels and um, at apologizes to Daniels uh, before he walks out. And one of the rare moments that you ever, ever see Landsman serious. This is one of the rare, rare moments up until this point in the series that you see Landsman actually, you know, real, other, maybe outside of when Kima got shot, when they were, you know, going investigating and, and looking for evidence. But this, he knows he's fucked up. Um, and again, Fucked up to a point to where you, you know it, it hurt them because they're trying to clear they're trying to clear these murders. He's like, and that's what it, and that was a, you know Daniel's like, I'm working these murders for you. So this is like, so when you fuck you fucking me over, you fucking yourself over. Um, just a inept. I mean, I guess the, the writers are trying to tell how inept policing can be, and not being able to get out their own way at times. It's the it's the it's a commentary on communication. You see this? Don't don't do that, real. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, we you know in our business, yes, we can't is. communicate to each other to yeah. save our lives, and we're doors right right next to. It. So no, I just wanted to. I'm just gonna echo. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They they are absolutely making a commentary on policing. So you have uh, Hurt Carver. Um, mm. You have a bunch of interrogations going on. Um, Herc and Carver are, in, are interrogating Eton. You have Madam. The Madam is being interrogated by Greggs and Russell. You have Fitz and, and McNulty interrogating Sergey. Uh, interrogating Sergey. So they've rounded up a lot of uh, the majority of the Greeks' top people. Uh, they, got, they got everybody who's on the wire. Sorry. Huh? They got everybody who's on the wire. Yeah, they got people. They yeah, they've rounded up all the people that they heard on the wire. They're making uh, an arrest. 
in the interrogation that they're there, that they arrested, that they uh that they arrested. Uh so you had that you had that going on. Um what are your thoughts on these various interrogations? Yeah, yeah. Say your name, say your name, say your name, state your name, state your name. Boris. Why always Boris? <laughs> I love this scene. I love these scenes. I love this. I love this scene because they play it over and over again in the wire in so many different scenarios. And it's just, it's just good. They just know they they it's kind of like um, and like I said, like like I just haven't talked the wire in a while so i just have a lot of stored up things to say um so i was having a conversation with a friend yesterday and we were talking about the movie bad teacher and why that movie wasn't good is because it obviously wasn't written by teachers um because if anyways so so um what you can tell with these scenes is that these scenes were written by people or with the knowledge of people who've actually conducted these interrogations, uh, yeah. these interrogations. and so, um, and so we had the boat scene earlier in the season. We've had uh, 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 when Bodie was pulled in. Um, you know, we've had uh, 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 Bunk and McNulty, Fat Gregs and McNulty, Fat Greg. You know, uh, so. This is will be replayed and has been replayed multiple times, and they get it right every single time. I, I just uh, enjoy them. I enjoy them all tremendously. Um, we we're already past that was season one, right? Where he put the the uh, the thing in the copier, the paper in the copier, and brought it back in there. Was that season one? You might. I can say it's when no, it's when they busted Homeboy's eye out, right? Oh yeah, yeah, season one. And, and uh, Landsman was like, "Watch this," and it was like the truth or lie, and it, and he went. You're it. way, you're way ahead. I'm ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, as, as far yeah, as ahead. Okay, all right. Let me stop talking. I mean, it's not, it's not like that's going to spoil anything. But no, 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 not at all. But you're still. That, that is not a spoiler. But let no. me stop talking. <laughs> You're about to. <laughs> I know what I'm getting. I know what. Yeah, and then it comes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So they, the chess. they um the Greeks again. The Greeks show you how well run, how well run they are. They get nothing out of these interrogations. Nobody knows nothing. They're not giving up. They, I mean, they. Nobody's giving up at this point. Nobody's giving up nothing. They like they. It you know they get arrested. All right, we you got we got arrested, but we're not we're not telling you shit. So they play all those you know all those characters, all the people that part who are part of Greek Greeks organization play it close. Don't keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything at this point. Um, again, showing you just the discipline of that, the continuous discipline of that uh, particular uh, organization. Um, so then we go to. Sabaka and uh, the FBI interrogation. Um, they threaten him with charges if he doesn't talk. Um, he says that, uh, you know, they basically says, you know, if you want to save your union, you know, you need to, you know, you need to give us something. And then basically he his retort was that we've been dying out there for 25 years. Now, you know, now you want to save us. Um, again, speaking just 
telling the, the story of basically the seasons as far as how these unions and ports and, and different businesses were still, you know, still mills or whatever were, you know, were on decline. Because, uh, you know, mentioned that we've been dying out there for 25 years. Um, they don't, at this point, they don't have a lot on Sabaka. This is more about a lot. This was just seemingly about Valcheck at this point. Because uh, at this point, they really don't have, they really didn't have that much on him. Uh, uh, especially without, um, especially without the detail. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, Sabaka in the scene? There, there are a lot. My, my, my main one is like, mm, it's, it's, it's hard to pull that rationale now. It's hard to pull that rationale now. Um, and it's consistent with his character and his character is self-delusional. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's still caught up with the, the, the union and thinking that like, like he's still trying, I think he was still at the, the last stages of trying to rationalize why he did yeah. what he did. Yeah, and that still in that that mode, that mindset of that mindset, um, even in that even in that that particular scene. So you have McNulty, White Mike, and Greg's. They played an audio of his tape of his uh, tape with uh, phone call with Sergey, who of course gave away the style of killing. That was the that was the tape when Sergey said, "Ask him, does he have any arms? Does he have any legs? Does he have any hands?" And then we didn't do it. When White, when White Mike was asking about a particular killing, uh, had they did a particular murder, so they they played that tape for him. Um, they played that tape for him, and then we'll see what happens. We will uh, see what uh, what happens. Um, that, this was you know a little bit of setup uh, moving forward. Uh, what were your what were your thoughts on this scene? Yes. Uh, yeah, Frank and his Frank and his lawyer discussing next steps. Um, which we'll see how that plays, how that when that plays out. Um, you have you get back to White Mike, Greg's McNulty. White Mike begins to start, uh, you know, starts to give up some names. Um, talks about the Greeks and Sergey, and of course he does not know who the top dogs are. He doesn't. He doesn't know. He's not. You know, it's not that far up the up the chain. He's dealing. He mainly deals with the muscle. Mainly deals with he deals mainly deals with Sergey. Like Sergey is, is where he is as far as uh, White Mike went in terms of getting information. So he talks about them, talks about them, and doesn't just doesn't know who the, the top dogs are in terms of the Greek and Spiros. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah. We get to Omar and Stringer. So yep. Stringer tells uh. Tells Omar that Brother Muzon killed Brandon, and he gives uh, seemingly gives Brother Muzon gives Omar Brother Muzon's uh, location. Now coming into this before they even met up, as Stringer's already you know in this in whatever was in the whatever uh, room they were in, Omar's Omar's coming in. Um, Omar refuses to uh, get Pat out. So that, that's not gonna work for me, big man. And basically says, you know, he's been waiting seemingly a lifetime to see to see Stringer again. 
uh, see Stringer again. So Stringer plays the scene cool, says, look, you got a right to be pissed off. I'm down right now. You know, Weebay, Stinkum, all the Stinkum is dead. Weebay's in jail. Burr's in jail. Um, you had your, you know, you had your hands in my pockets. You know, taking my shit. And he, you know, he basically plays this. He plays this scene cool and basically lets Omar. Basically, he kind of tells Omar what Omar wanted to know. Omar still is enraged about Brandon. And anybody that he felt that had that exactly did that to Brandon, whoever exactly did that to Brandon, uh, he'd be willing to listen to, even if it's even if it is Stringer Bell. So this was a scene where Omar was, in a way, in many ways, blinded by his own. We got, we got, we have to slow down. We got to slow down. All right, go ahead. Because we can't. The only reason I'm saying we got to slow down is because this scene is the opening paragraph to season three. This is the opening paragraph right here, right now. So we're here now. So they're like, so we got to slow down. We can't just, this can't just be a scene that happened. This is, this is, this is the opener. And it's as big. So what were your thoughts on this? The thing that we're going to, the thing that we're going to, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just a big, so this is the thing. Season three will be for me. How did this all happen? Like, how did this go down? Because we've already said this is not just uh, Stringer moving on his own. And this is not just Omar reacting emotionally to a situation. But she has to be involved in it. Prop Joe and all people around to get this thing to go down this way, there has to be a lot of moving pieces. And there were a lot of moving pieces. No, 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 we don't know it yet. We don't know it. That's what I'm saying. This is just the opening scene. So that's why I said we got to slow down. Like, this is, I'm using next season. This is what I'm investigating. Stringer and his, we, we really pulled apart Stringer and his play for ultimate power in this season, next season, I'm, I want to pull apart how all this happened and, and what was going on. So that was my, that was my thoughts to this, to this scene was how did they get Omar in that room? And that's why I stopped it right there. Cause I'm like, how did they get Omar in that room? Cause you're right. Omar doesn't trust Stringer. Why the hell would he go there? He damn sure ain't just going to go in the word of prop Joe. Why the hell would he go there? So you have Brandon Ben happened. Why the hell would he go there? Stringer says, but she Stringer says so and so did X, Y, and Z. Why would he believe Stringer? We know how smart Omar is. We can't just take the smarts away from him right now in this moment because it would be plot convenient. Another show, yep, that works. They would just do that, not the wire. Not the wire. We haven't been looking hard enough. Me as a viewer, I haven't been looking hard enough. It's missed me all these years. It's not going to miss me this go around. How did they get Omar in that room? In that room. That's the question. So that's why I thought of that scene. So you have Frank and his lawyer. Frank says, tells his lawyer he's going to go see Ziggy. And then he says the epigraph, I need to get clean. So, so Frank, I mean, you know, this is, it sounds like you say, it sounds great. Yeah. The- yeah, at the end, yeah, sure. Yep, yep, you got all the regrets now. 
Sure. But, you know, a little late in the game frame. Um, White Mike, we back to White Mike, Greg's McNulty. Um, he refuses to tell them who Eton and Sergey uh, report to. So, I don't think he's bet the Greek, but I do. I do think he had knowledge of Spiros. But either way, he doesn't. He does not give. He, he, he doesn't give anybody. Does not give them up. Um, doesn't give them up to uh, Greg's or uh, McNulty. So you have Ziggy and Frank. Uh, Frank immediately sees that Ziggy has been. Uh, has gotten beat up. Ziggy says he got tired of being the punchline. Uh, Frank, you know, said and says that you know you were too busy for me. Then they talk about Ziggy's uh, mom, who apparently was you know addicted, to, had a drug problem, was addicted addicted to drugs, and then Ziggy closes out basically regretting, um, regretting, regretting the killing. And you know, says that you know what he saw. You know, it, it made him sick to his stomach in terms of what he what he saw, what he did to, you know, killing not only killing Double G, but shooting a, shooting a young dude, the young little, the young clerk in the store as well. Frank basically says that that wasn't you, Zig. Um, that wasn't you at all. And so you know, you're a sabaka, and then Ziggy basically ends the scene and said, "Fuck this, what I am," which he is. Um, who are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, so good scene. I have more to say about other stuff about this scene at the very end, but I do want to say one thing. Um, and I thought I thought this consistently the entire time, which is also which is why I love part of the reason I love season two, part of the reason I love the Ziggy character. Um, you know, like how you hear all the time um news programs or whatever, like how somebody like went into a rage and killed somebody else, and then like and then you'll see like the person who did that and they're all um, apologetic and everything like that. And before I watched this show, I could never access like how that doesn't make sense to me. You killed that person. You should, I mean, like, you're not sad. I don't believe you. I don't believe in it, everything like that. The way that the actor played this, like I, I got it when I watched it. I was like, oh, best portrayal of that that I've ever seen film, TV, in my entire lifetime. It's the best portrayal of, like, I was enraged, and I talked about it when he played that part of it. I was enraged, so enraged, and so in that space that I went in and shot a person and killed somebody else, but now this is the other side of it. And it's not Frank Sabatka regret, which which is means I just got caught. This is, I was not me. I don't know how that happened. Right. But what I do know is I'm sick to my stomach now. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, no, it was, it was a tre tremendously acted scene by... Uh, Well-written everything. Just by by uh, Ziggy. Uh, James. I think his name is James Ransom. Ransom that, plays the, that played the character Ziggy. And this is what I mean by Ziggy's a tragic figure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier. This moment right, he, this moment right here. 
he was a tragic figure. He was a, I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but he, he got pulled into this through, you know, through his father. Like his, his father pulled him he indirectly, indirectly, indirectly pulled him into this. I mean, indirectly, he, directly, all direct, the Well, yeah, directly and indirectly. Every, every directly you can, <laughs> yeah. you can put, yeah, Sabaka's, Frank Sabaka's a part of that. So you have uh, the detail discussing the interrogations, thinking about next steps, uh, decide, thinking about, of course, their next steps, they decide to follow Spiros. The FBI, with the exception of Fitzhugh, they've got what they wanted, so they bounce and leave the detail, uh, except Fitzhugh. Um, this was uh, definitely some setup that will be flushed out over the course of uh, over the course of not only this episode but next episode as well, but um, they decide they decide to, to you know put, basically put a tail on Spiros, on uh, Spiros who of course is the second in command. Um, Frank and Lou, Lou of course is of course the father of Nick Sabaka. Yeah, Lou's house discussing uh, what transpired with the raids, discussing their sons. Um, of course, Lou is incensed that Nick was involved in, in terms of dealing the drugs, dealing the drugs. Um, he snaps at Frank because he, because of Frank basically introduced him to that lifestyle. Frank, you know, again, never, never taking full responsibility. Frank says, well, we were just moving, moving some cans. I didn't think it was going to go this far. I didn't think it was going, you know, it was going to turn out like this basically. And Lou basically says, you know, once you gave him a little taste of that, what do you think was going to happen? Like, he didn't say this, but I'm sure part of, this was, part of him was thinking, thinking this, like, we're broke. <laughs> we, have, we don't have a lot of money. He hasn't, he's broke. So you show him a little bit of money, he's going to get, you know, it's, it's going to be like, uh, it's not going to be able to stop. Um, so he, they get into an argument. Mostly, it's mostly, you know, Lou. Uh, doing most of the yelling, which rightfully so, because um, he wanted no part of this. Uh, so, had two brothers on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, which we which, which has been depicted all season long in terms of where these who these characters are morally. Uh, what were your thoughts on this uh, on this uh, scene? Yeah, I mean, like this. So, <coughs> um. The Nick Sabaka's dad's character is there to be the moral clarity. So it's so if for some reason you haven't been following along as a viewer and you don't understand what's going on here, Frank's dad will break it down to you. Especially, I mean, not especially. The, he is he is the direct opposition of Frank's character. And so if you don't get the nuance, that's the word I'm trying to use. If you don't get the nuance of what's going on with the Frank character, then um, then his brother will come along and, and let you know. And so this is kind of like the summation of it all, right? Like it's like the reason why he's guilty for Ziggy um, is because instead of being the moral compass, he was not. Um, and uh, I'll connect it to that scene in, in last, I'll connect this scene to that scene in last episode where um, 
where uh, Ziggy, uh, when he's walking out of the bar and dad's questioning him about the duck and everything like that. And he's just like, I mean, he essentially, in, in that scene, he's like, no, I don't blame you. You just weren't there. You just weren't there. It's always been about the union. It's always been about something else. And so those are the two layers of it. That's why Sabaka's totally to blame. He was, he made it about something else more than the things that were supposed to be the most important to him. Um, and so therefore he sold his soul to this idea of the union, um, which was already a, a Nolanville idea. And so, um, God, I really want to get to the, get to, but I can I can put a, a point on it. I can't wait to get to the end of this episode. Um, I'll put the fully formed point on. But this entire season exists because of Frank Zabaka's bad choices. Just right. like Walter White's universe exists because of his choices, because of his bad choices, and everything that happens is because of that initial choice. Yeah, the actor, whoever the actor, I don't, I don't know who he is, but whoever the actor, whoever the actor is that plays Lou, that plays Lou, was tremendous in every scene he was in. He wasn't in that many scenes, but he, he really like, and I really thought about that when I was watching this. Yeah, yesterday, like he really did his thing in these scenes. Uh, and, you know, in the amount of scenes that he had, which which wasn't that many. Um. Yeah, I, I, this is squarely on Frank. Um, again, Lou, Lou just wants to be retired and, like you said, enjoy a ball game and a beer. Like he, like he, he wanted, he wanted nothing to bargain. Wanted, you know, zero. That we had had nothing to do with this. Wanted nothing to be a part of this whatsoever. Um, and I'm sure that. You know, as a parent, even if you your kid makes dumb choices, your adult kid, your adult son makes dumb choices, I'm sure there's a level of guilt coming from you naturally, even though you were not the reason why he made those choices, but I'm sure you might parts of you might feel like, you know, what what could I do differently? What you know, what there has to be like I said, getting back to the other theme or the original theme I talked about, there had to be some even some regret from Lou's standpoint, even though Lou was not, to me, had, had nothing to do with this. Yeah, um, Lou, Lou's character is not about regret. Just, just from a functional point of the show, his character is not about regret. Frank, Nick, and Ziggy have that in spades for everybody. I mean, I'm, just, I'm not saying, yeah, they have, they have it all live. But I'm saying for can me, can we imagine a scenario with a parent in general being sad of their adult kids' choices? Yes. Is there evidence that Lou was sad in this series? No. Or regret? No. Can I make that imagination? Absolutely. But also looking at functionally, his, that's not what his character was there for. I mean, he had, I guess he had more anger. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was, like, he was angry. <laughs> he, just, he just, he's the, he's the, we, we, it's weird, right? Like, cause it's like, we get so attached to characters that we give them almost supernatural powers. But Frank, who is Frank? Frank's a dock worker. What union? Billions of unions have gone down. 
what makes you so special? Right? Nothing. And so nothing makes Lou special. He's just a guy who retired from his job. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's that simple. We don't have to add a whole bunch of different complexities to it when breaking certain situations down. Lou is right. Frank is wrong. wrong. Yep. Period. So we have um, Omar Muzon and Lamar. Muzon sends out sends Lamar out to get a, you know to get a, to get his Harpers as Omar is um, surveying surveying the area. As, this is of course outside. This is near uh, Muzon's uh, motel that he's staying in. Omar Omar is watching. Uh, again, uh, you will see how this plays out in the latter part of the of this episode. Definitely a setup scene, uh, and, and it gives you you know tells you all you need to know about Omar, what we already know, Omar, how careful Omar is in terms of what he is planning, planning an attack. Uh, no different in this, in, no different with this particular scene. Uh, Frank decides to work a ship for another stevedore. Um, this will be a bunch of scenes with Frank. What were your initial thoughts with Frank deciding to- This is, this is <laughs> I'll, I'll tie this, I'll tie this in at the end. So we get Spiros, McNulty, Bunk. Um, Bunk watches Spiros talk about his clothes. Uh, Bunk was Bunk and McNulty watching Spiros. They get into a conversation about about uh, Spiros' clothes, and you know that famous funny line out of from Bunk. McNulty says, "What kind of man watches it? What kind of man knows that much about clothes?" And Bunk says, "A grown up." Or what kind of man takes that much interest in his clothes and Bunk says a grown-up? And then you have uh, them following Spiros along with uh, Kima as well. So we will, that's, that's a, you know, this, this definitely falls in line of the setup scene. Frank, uh, work, continue, continue to work the ship. We can move to, so you have Bunk, McNulty, Spiros, Kima, and Russell. They follow Spiros to his hotel. They send they send Russell to directly follow him. Uh, she's able to locate locate his hotel floor and locate his room, and locate his room as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on Russell in this scene? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like BD Russell, that's that's what they were working with her to do, um, to to give her to give her some game. Uh, I am really fascinated with the the room. I'm, I'm just really fast. I was really fascinated about all of that. That was that was happening, tracking and tracking them to the room. I just, I wonder what the plan was. I just wonder what the plan was. Um. Anyways. Uh, how it would have worked out if if things were different, um, but yeah. But other than that, yeah, BD Russell got game now. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The is yeah it's I guess we can flush that out next episode with the the whole their hotel room because yeah, that's why that's why I stopped. I, I was yeah. just like I got really really caught up in what was supposed to happen. Anyways, like you said, that that that's next episode. Uh, you have the detail, Russell Spiros in the unknown comes out with Spiros. 
y'all know, of course, we know, um, y'all know, of course, uh, we know, we will find out is a decoy, not the Greek. Oh. They uh, switched cars. Um, and the Greek, well, the Greek actually walks past Kima without her, without nobody even noticing. Of course, they don't know what the Greek looks like. Nope. Um, and just, I, it was, it was like, this, I mean, this scene was quick, but it was, it was beautiful from a standpoint of just how, just how far ahead the Greek and that organization is to everybody. I mean, they even, like, it, it was just, it was just, was, it was remarkable. Just, they did, they're just so, like, they're, they are playing chess without, you know, without question. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I summed it up right there. Yeah, it, it was like they, yeah, they, you know, the Greek walking past, the decoy, the switching of cars. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I've definitely enjoyed that, this particular scene. You have Matt and Frank briefly talking about another uh, another stevedore by the name of Moonshot as Frank, you know, continues to, to work the ship, uh, work the ship. Um, then we get to the detail Perlman discussing following Sparrows and White Mike's interrogation. Um, what were your thoughts on that conversation? Um, I'm going, I mean, like e everything that's is either set up or like, especially like right now where we're, we're at in the show, putting an uh, end on something or put like put a period. And so that's why I was just trying to debate in my head. Was it set up or was it putting a period on it? Um, I'm going to go with set up. You have the FBI. Uh, yeah, the FBI and Frank. Of course, they got nothing from Frank. Um, FDF. We find out the FBI got got nothing from Frank. They decide to use Russell for detail. Well, Russell. It was Russell's idea. Decides to go talk to Frank because she, of course, she has a relationship with him from, you know, from the start. Um, she just, she thinks that she can convince him, uh, you know, convince him to talk. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, any quick thoughts on that? Yes. Yeah, so, in the, in the uh, episode where she was just like, has anybody even tried to come at him straight? Um, so, yeah, I did like that, but set up. Yeah, Frank and Bruce. Uh, Bruce, of course, is the is the lobbyist that he's been paying off. Um, Bruce, uh, Frank, Bruce tells him that the Grand Pier is dead, and says that the other lobbyists are are just scared of his image right now because of their arrest. And then Frank says one of the, probably one of the most poignant lines maybe in the history of the show. Uh, he says, we used to make shit in this country, build shit. Now we put our hand in the next guy's pocket. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, that felt like rationalizing for um, Frank. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, and so, and so my, my thought on this scene 
it didn't vary wildly. It just is very, very expansive. So to keep things moving, I'll say this simply. This is one of those scenes where the wire is a book and there are multiple, multiple layers under everything that is being said here. My interpretation of what of what was being said has nothing to do with the words that are coming out of the character's mouth. That is not what this scene is about. It's the subtext of everything. And so this, my interpretation of the subtext was that, um, that Frank is acknowledging that he, Frank is acknowledging that he is um, in desperate straits. What the lawyer was saying to him, or what he would have liked to have heard of Frank to hear, is that um, the reason that this thing is dead is because of the actions that you have taken, including buying me to do all of this. The way that Frank took that was to then blame everything else. Um, and so, uh, and so the, the deeper subtext to me is um, that Frank is the character who everybody else needs to learn from of what not to do. Um, and if you are a character in this show going forward and you do not learn this lesson, your likelihood of ending up okay is very, very bad. Yeah, yeah, no, no two ways about it. Spiros and the Greek, uh, they meet discussing, um, discussing their next steps. It is clear that the Greek wanted to, uh, just wanted to kill, you know, just wanted to kill Sabaka, kill both Sabakas. Uh, Spiros gives them another solution, um, talks about how, you know, they could use the wounded clerk in order to uh, make it, they can use the wounded clerk to testify to get Ziggy loose, uh, to get Ziggy freed up. Of course, Ziggy's the one, Ziggy shot the clerk. So the whole, the, whole, the whole idea, bless you, the whole idea was that they would talk the clerk into not testifying against Ziggy uh, in order for them, in, in return for the Sabakas not to talk. Uh, but again, the Greek is like, look, and this is the beginning of the conversation. Greek basically, like you know, there's really only one way. That's what the Greek, that's what the Greek says at the beginning of the conversation. Uh, so, but Spiros is able to kind of convince him to go otherwise. We'll see. You know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, what are your thoughts on this meeting uh, with uh, Spiros and between Spiros and the Greek? Set up. Herc and Carver. Uh, they are outside Nick's parents' house. Um, still outside, they were still outside Nick's parents' house, you know, trying, you know, thinking about what, you know, just for whatever, you know, they, I mean, they were waiting, they were, they were behind the eight ball from that standpoint, because he's, you know, but they were still, no, they were waiting for, I'm, I'm going ahead, they were actually, they were actually waiting, uh, 
still waiting for him and, and what have you. So they're outside, so outside his parents' house. Uh, we can go on now to Omar Muzon, Kimmy, Tasha, Lamar. Uh, they distract Lamar outside his motel room using Tasha and Kimmy as, uh, using Tasha and Kimmy as diversions. Uh, so Lamar comes from behind, knocks Lamar, knocks, knocks Lamar out. They ambush Muzon, shoots, Omar shoots Muzon, shoots Muzon, but of course does not kill him. And then as Muzon is ready to die, uh, he realizes at that point that he has been tricked uh, by Stringer. Or that he realizes at this point, at least, that Muzon was not the one that killed Brandon. Uh, Muzon, of course, said, this, you know, how what was done to your boy was, was not my style. You got some wrong information. And again, he was saying, you know, saying his prayers, was ready to, he's ready to die at that point. He says, don't, you know, don't long, no, you know, long, there's no need to prolong it. Um, but Omar, you know, then figures out in his, in his mind that, you know, this dude is not the killer. And classic Omar, classic Omar fashion, he calls the, he calls the ambulance. And that, 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 that is a Omar move, to say the least. Like, I'm allowing him to let you live. I'm, I'm going to call, call the ambulance for you and then give you a head nod on the way out. <laughs> what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this is one we're going to have to slow down and we're definitely going to have to revisit. So that, so Stringer, this is, this is another, this is as we, this is scene, this is season three. This is, there's like this, we, these two scenes can't be, they're almost this, it's, yeah, it's almost impossible to talk about these two scenes, but I'll talk about the entirety of season three. So these two scenes are like the sandwich of season three the start and the end. Um, and so, every, I'm going to have to give the MVPs to others just because of their, that episode. But I will say Michael K. Williams, the look on his face, what he does with Omar, that character in the face that goes from bewilderment, confusion, acknowledgement, realization, treachery, questioning, it's all there. It's all there. Um, and that's why I'll stop, because I can't. So you had uh, Frank and Russell. Um, so she comes in, she comes into uh, his office on the docks. Uh, of course, he's been drinking. Uh, she convinces him to talk, and she comes in, and convinces him uh, to talk to the police, um, and just basically, like you know, basically come straight out. It, it basically came at him straight up. It was just like she played it exactly how she said that that she said she was going to play it. It's going to give you, you know, can't promise you anything. Come to the police, can, you know, just come talk to, uh, come talk to us, come talk to the police. And see, and basically sees what, and, and, and sees what, and see what happens. But she, did, she definitely didn't go in there. She definitely did not go in there making any promises to Frank at all. Um, and he says to her, "Well, she says to him, she says, 'You're better than than those. You're better than those who you got in bed with.'" 
So I think that that line, that last line, made a you know made a made have convinced him. Um, may have been on the the, the icing on the kick in terms of convincing him to come in with the cops. Uh, what were your scene? What were your thoughts on this conversation? Yeah. yeah. McNulty and Bunk continue to watch Spiros. Um, they're at his house and they discuss why he uh, why he wasn't home. He hasn't he hasn't come home yet. But they're outside his house. We'll see how that plays out. You have uh, Nick and Spiros. Nick comes off was you know comes off as regretful of dealing with the Greeks. Um, Spiros, you know, basically says, "Look, you were just trying to do better for yourself. You know, don't worry." Uh, he tells you know tells Nick how they can help. Tells Nick how. Uh, how this all can be fixed. We can uh, get Ziggy off. We can get Ziggy off. Um, and, you know, if he, you know, for loyalty. Uh, so what were your thoughts with this interaction between Nick and Spiros? Yeah, very good. Very, very, very good. And a lot of, this is putting a period on the end of their relationship. Yeah, I you know I, I just thought about it. I got the sense that Nick, that Nick, I, the Nick and Spiros relationship is kind of like, kind of like Stringer and Bodies. Could have been. I, I now I don't think he I, I don't think he finessed Nick the way Stringer was finessing Bodie. Uh, not to that level. I would disagree with that. I think he definitely think, is finessing Nick. Well, in this scene, he's definitely, no, this scene, he's definitely, that's why I thought about it. This scene, he's definitely finessing Yeah, Nick he's been it. doing it the entire time. It just was obvious it, to in the scene. But I would say he's been finessing him the entire time. That's how he can chill Frank out. Yes, yeah, no, yeah. Because it, Nick chills Frank out. Nick chills, yes, exactly. He knows that, yes. No, you're right. You're right. Um, Frank, you have Frank, the detail, Perlman, and Fitzhugh. Uh, he's, yeah, so Frank says that he will give everybody, he goes to talk to the cops, says he will give everybody up except the union. Um, again, a setup, you know, this is, uh, this is even more set up. Uh, you have Nick. Frank, the Greeks, and a brilliant, uh, just a brilliant musical montage uh, where you have um, the Greeks with their new passports. You have Fitzhugh faxing into the FBI office. Um, then you have Nick as the music. The music gets lower. You have Nick and Frank and the Greeks. You have Nick and Frank. Um, meeting under the bridge. Uh, Nick tells him that the Greeks want to help Ziggy. Frank says in return for what? And they say, and, uh, of course he says, and Nick says loyalty. And then Frank, of course, shakes the gate in disgust. Uh, he, again, he's already spoken to police. Um, but again, he does not know that they know that. But um, he decides to... <laughs> He decides to meet um, meet with them alone without Nick. Tells Nick, you know, get, get out of here. I, I got this myself. I don't want you any part. I don't want you. You you have no part of this moving forward. 
Uh, what were your thoughts on this exchange between Nick and uh, Frank? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because we know what's going to happen. I mean, it, it's not even like you just know what's going to happen. The episode is steaming towards it. It's giving you all the headlights. And as, like you said, as the thing is going on in there, you see the facts going through and you know who picks it up. And we know that's his snitch. Yeah. Um, so you know how this is going. We know what's going to happen. So this scene, you're like, damn, this is the last interaction they're going to have. Yeah. So it's, it's heartbreaking. It's so yeah, it was a very, it was very, very sad scene. Um, I mean, the actors didn't play it that way, nor should they. Because no, they, they, they don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but no. we do. Um, Spiros the Greek, of course, you have the muscle. Uh, Agent Cooch. Agent Cooch just receives the facts from Fitzhugh. As soon as he, as soon as he sees, receives the facts, he calls, uh, gives the Greek a call, let the Greek know that Frank has spoken to the cops. And immediately the Greek tells, uh, tells Spiros it's not going to work out. And that is how the episode ends. Yeah. Um, MVP and the Chardin. I just said, yeah, that's how the episode is. My bad. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I did want, yeah, I wanted to tie a bunch of things into into now that now that we're here at that the end of the episode. Go ahead. And um, when I say everything was steaming here, that's what all those every scene that Frank is in in this episode is uh, building the momentum for for us to get to get to this point. It's just building that momentum. <laughs> so that's that's one thing. And then I think it's second to then revisit the conversation between Frank and the lawyer right now. Now that we know Frank is is speeding towards his demise. Um or no Frank and Sabat and Frank and uh 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 Frank and his lawyer and we could do Frank and Valchek. Um I say Ziggy is a tragic figure. I have never said that about Frank. And there's a reason. Frank cannot be a tragic figure. It is not tragic what happens to Frank because he is the instrument of his own demise. And so now that we're here, we can really, really, really rewind all of this. This entire investigation is because Frank not only wouldn't chill with Valchek, but he had to be... He had to go, he had to bump chest with Valchek and then escalated by stealing the van. This entire everything is because of that. He is dead because of that decision. His son is in jail for the rest of his life because of that decision. Now, we have a detail and this and that, all that. Other things came out of that decision at that point. But so like, so that's why I never use the word, word tragic with Frank. And then I, I want to shine the light on Ziggy. And that's why, that's why like midway, probably like way before like, tip, for, like on episode eight, I was like, all right, jokes on Ziggy are off because now I got to talk about how, how tragic. Now I can close the entire book on it now that, that we're here at this point. The reason why Ziggy's a tragic figure is because of his dad. Your father, whether he's there or not, is your 
blueprint for what manhood is. Then you add all different components from all over the point in time. And so what the Y is saying in this is that the, no, the blueprint was missing from Ziggy because for whatever reason, we didn't get, we, we got snippets of that. Frank replaced Ziggy, his child, with the union. For some reason, he picked that up and that became the most valuable, precious thing in his life over his wife and kid. And from that moment, that choice, whenever that was, Ziggy's life was set up for failure after failure after failure. And then the lack of any accountability on Ziggy as the dad, completely, basically abdicating his responsibilities as a father, um, only compounded that. And then he threw gasoline on the fire that was Ziggy with surrounding, putting, putting him in an environment that was going to be less than successful, which is where all that college and everything, all that regret he was saying about that. He knows what environment he put him in. Um, and so uh, that's why Ziggy's a tragedy because none of his behaviors were a result of something that he could himself have control. Everything we saw from Frank this season was directly due to something he did. He caused to happen. And so I just wanted to make that very clear. That's why Ziggy's a tragic figure in my head. That's why Frank is the character he was. Not saying anything is any less compelling about Frank. That's why I really, really harp on Ziggy's a tragic figure. But I can only juxtapose it with Frank, and I can only do it when, when he was dead. I can only fully do it when we knew he was dead. All right, I'm done. Yeah, I love the way they ended, they ended the episode. Um, I mean, we know, we, we know what's going to happen. There's no... There's no, 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 any no, no, no. Or anything like that when we we know. Like we knew we knew the entire episode. Um, but just in case you didn't understand anything about how TV works, when uh the writers made sure that that phone call at the end happens and uh the boss man leans over and says to Spiros, um, your way of just talking this. That no, that's not gonna work. No. <laughs> no, so yeah, you know, you know what's gonna happen. Now, I will say this too. And this is how this is how ahead of this time the wire was as well. I feel like it was one of the first shows that you could tell when a character like they like when they were ready to really write off a character and really to like a character's demise. Do they really? Have is a pattern where they will give off, they will give that character a lot of beats, a lot of a lot of work, a lot of like they will make that episode about that particular character. I don't feel like it was too many shows during that time that were doing that. Well, and then I'm gonna add on to that that oh. end where you were talking about because you even used the word right off. And a lot of shows do things for effects right whatever it is and so a death of a character gives you a nice ratings bump or whatever it is and to go to age of tv which the wire predated it was right there with the spread they created to the go this go to age of, t, uh, of tv 
um, what you saw was that was baked into the script. It was Frank Sabaka was going to die at the end of this season. Then regardless, it's having very nothing to do. It was the story. So from the moment we saw Frank Sabaka, the audience, we're watching, if that's 100, we're watching the tick down to zero. And that's how they create the season. And that's how they build that, that momentum. You're absolutely right. There's a momentum that's built during the season, and then there's a momentum that's built in that ep- in the episode. And this episode is taking us right to exactly where they want to end it. This is not a guess a who done it or try to have multiple suspects. Nah, this is we are driving to this point. We've been driving to this point for the entire season, but we 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 gonna let you know where we're going in this episode, just in case you haven't been paying attention. Who was your MVP? I think we'll probably have we're gonna have the same MVP. Well, here's here's how because I, I thought about this. I so I've been thinking about this for two weeks, to be honest with you. Um I thought about this after I finished the show. I was like, who am I gonna give the MVP of the show? Uh and so this is how I creatively did it. So I'm not splitting the two categories. I'm gonna give both categories to the Sabaka boys. All oh. of them crushed these episodes. <laughs> this episode since we haven't moved into the next one. Um, so I'm going to give it to the Sabaka boys for this one. Um, yeah, uh, and I, I'll yeah, even throw yeah. Rucker in there as well. Because you're right, even though, you're right, his his scene was very, 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 very good. Okay, so all the, all the Sabakas. All the Nick, Frank. Lou. <laughs> Lou, they get all, all, and they get all the awards. Y'all figure it out amongst y'all. Y'all are all fantastic. All fantastic. During this episode, I had uh, yeah, I just well, I, Omar I, I, off the list. I had nowhere to go with Omar. I wanted to give Michael K. Williams that's this the Shard Shardine Award just for had that reaction I talked about, but the Sabaka boys were too yeah, good. They, they were no, they were. I, I, mean, I gave it to Frank. I gave it to Frank, but uh, yeah, it, it was the Sabakas. It was, it, it was like no, 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 go with yours. I want to hear both of you. No, I have Frank and I had Frank and I had Omar. Okay. Yeah, Frank and Omar. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I you you make a you make a valid point with the Sabakas. But I, yeah, Frank and Omar. Omar. Yeah. Both oh, those scenes. He's a beast. Omar, yeah, both those scenes. Oh, that's how good this episode was. He's a monster. Because even like even with the scene, even with the scene with Stringer, it was like he had a look <laughs> on his face like I don't trust you. I shouldn't trust you. Yeah. It's that like yeah. Everything. He was confused. He was, so it was good. It was it was confusion as well. He just said, yeah. I mean, he had all of it. He did. He went through all the emotions on his face. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, tremendous episode. We now come into episode 12, Port in a Storm. This episode was directed by the late and great Robert F. Colesbury. You remember Colesbury uh, was a, a big time producer on The Wire. He died before season three. Uh, in you know season three, of course, he played the bumbling detective Ray Cole, that was that was featured in uh, a couple episodes in season one, seasons one, and, and seasons two. Uh, he directed this episode. This episode ranked thirty eighth all time by Vulture, so they didn't hate it. So you know, um, the uh, epigraph was by the Greek: "Business always business." Um, for a theme, for the themes, a theme that came out to me, uh, it was one of the 
phrases in the course of during the course of the episode. There's always more. That was the thing to me. There's always more. Opening scene, they find Frank Sabaka's body. Um, the Marine unit found it. Matter of fact, it was the guy that McNulty, McNulty's partner that he started out in the Marine and with earlier in the season. Um, he calls it in. All the dock workers are waking up like it's just another morning at the docks. Yeah. They're all around to see it. Um, Frank, um, Frank's throat was slit. Now, before I hand it over to you, and this is the brilliance of this show, there was a scene that I told you that to put a bookmark on. So I'm going to go back about, about three or four episodes. There's a conversation between uh, Frank and uh, Horseface. Frank was like, what happens when you get your, home, when you get your uh, phone cut off? And Horseface did this motion. Your throat... And I was like, yo, dog, I told her, I was, I was like, wow, wow. I was like, I was like, that, I, I mean, I, obviously I couldn't say, couldn't say anything then, but I thought to myself, that is exactly how he died. He got his throat slit. So again, whether it's intent, I, I'm sure that was not unintentional for Horseface to do that, that gesture and Frank to be sitting across him. I, that to me, I, I give them, you know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I'm giving him that credit. So he has his throat slit. Uh, all the dock, all the dock workers see it. Uh, they kind of gather around as the body comes up. Um, and um, and Chewbacca, of course, is you know is dead. Um, what were your thoughts on this opening scene? Just a really good opening scene. Yeah, it, you know, it just, I mean, I guess with the, all the, I mean, the dock was like everybody, everybody surrounded there. And, you know, it made sense that they, that he, that they would, that they would see that all of them would see him like that. Um, I thought about too, when I watched the episode yesterday, um, the Greeks did not mean, I, when I first watched it, I was like, was that a message or did they want his body found? And it, it turns out they, they just, you know, had, it was just bad luck. They, the cinder block, the, the, the water, the tide just bought, bought the body, the cinder block. Apparently they didn't have enough cinder blocks. Um, I don't know. I, even with that being said, still just how they deal. I got, I kind of got a sense that it, it may have been a message because you know, these are guys, these are, these are dudes that chop off body parts. And if they don't want you found, you will not be found. So I kind of want, part of me wonders if they didn't mind, if, if they didn't mind him being found. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know if I had ever thought about it like that, because Spiros clearly says it, that the body, that, that the body, they tried to weigh him down and just says right. the water takes them up. So he clearly says that, but I do like how you put, did they mind him coming up? So I could definitely see an interpretation of that where it was just like, meh, it comes up, he comes up, he doesn't, he doesn't. But I do think you deal with different people in different, different ways. 
Um, so I don't know if necessarily whoever they're cutting heads and bodies off or heads and what is it? Heads and wrists off. I, I don't know if those the, the two connections go together. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I probably would lean towards it. Because the one, because remember, the boss, boss man came in and slit homeboy's throat. Right. So yeah, that, the dude, the, the well, boss, boss man wasn't involved in this. No. 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 And it, I mean, it seems to me that the dudes who they, that they mentioned this earlier that they that they, they do cut those body parts off that they, like you have to really be a serious fuck up for that but i don't know i mean i do like does say that it just came out of the water yeah i, I do like it being left trying to weigh him down yeah yeah i do left i mean i would lean towards them saying hey we try to weigh it down but if it comes up it comes up like we're that it's not going to you know, we'll we'll be good regardless. Um, also, The Wire is not a show that leaves any dialogue like on the cutting room floor. So no, no, not at all. No. Whatever they want us to 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 know, they put it in the story. Right. So you have Nick. Um, oh yeah, I got yeah, we already yeah, Nick Nick during that montage, Nick also saw Frank's truck under the bridge. Uh, during that montage. Um, the detail still has not, so we had the detail, they still have, uh, they still have not identified the Greek. Um, Landsman tells Freeman about the pictures of missing, tells Freeman about the missing pictures of uh, the body parts. Uh, what were your thoughts on this, on this uh, scene? Yeah, yeah, they're get, getting close. The la the thing that we don't have wrapped up, they're they're getting close to starting to to figure that part out. Stringer, Muzon, and Lamar. So Muzon, of course, has been shot last episode. He's in the hospital now. Stringer comes into the hospital to check on him. Um, claims that we will find out whoever did this to you. And uh. Muzon basically says, you know, basically, you know, when Stringer says, you know, them, whoever did this, Stringer brings up, says, says them, and then he asked him, who, you know, who did this to you, and Muzon does not, you know, says, I will take care of this. Muzon says, I will take care of them myself, and then Stringer says, well, who did this to you, and then Muzon uh has a pause for about 30 seconds before he says, uh, I appreciate your concern. Um, and then String, uh, Stringer leaves the room. But then before Stringer leaves the room, of course, Muzon lets, tell Stringer, let, you know, let Avon know that any agreement we have is now, or job we have is now absolved. Um, didn't get the sense that, I, like, because it was a lot in this scene. Um, I don't think Muzon suspected String at that point that String had set him up. I just think that he just... Ooh, you need to pay attention to that scene. And pay attention to, to, to Brother's face. You're trying to save Stringer, Surreal. I know you. You're trying to save Stringer. Don't save Stringer. 
When he so when when do you think he, Stringer? Stringer's misplayed. He's misplayed, miscalculated everything. No, he took when he at when he asked oh, him he misplayed who, and miscalculated everything. everything. So for when he so we, for when he, we won't be able to get to the to the end of season three, but start looking for the tea leaves right now. His clock has started. It is ticking. So from from what you're saying, you don't think he should have never even visited Mazzone. His clock is ticking. He has misplayed his hand. So what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts? So on the particular scene itself, my thoughts are pay attention to moves on face. I had never, it's the exact same thing. It's the flip side from Omar. So I don't know this actor's name. Like I know Michael K. Williams, but I watched his face. As a matter of fact, this is another time of, I didn't want to pay attention to what the wire was showing me because essentially the entire scene is Muzon face and Stringer just in the background talking. And so especially once you get to the part where Stringer says uh, the them comment, oh, it's just Muzon face. It actually never pans back to Stringer. And so that actor has to carry that throughout everything. You just, you watch him, just watch him Cal- looking at Stringer and calculating every single one of his words. I was looking at that, I was just like, oh, oh, Stringer misplayed this big time. Because you see it. You see so you think, it. So you thought he had, he had Stringer dead to rights at that point? Like, dead yeah. to mofo and not think. It is 1,000% for sure. Watch Muzon's face. There will be no doubt in your mind. Because I get where you're coming from. In my mind, and before it's been cloudy-ish, I do think the dialogue itself tells us um, what's, what's going on. Um, the fact that Muzon says them, but you could also play it as Muzon was throwing them out there to get a reaction from Bell. Anyway, you play the scene, Muzon wins. Comes yeah, no, out on this. Question. He, well, first, I mean, yeah, he... He saw right through Stringer. Yes. And he baited him. And he, yeah. and he baited him. He saw right through Stringer. Like, yeah. And he baited him. Um, without question. Like, if you're Stringer, you come in, all right, how you doing? And ba- I mean, basically, how you doing? Can we do anything for you? And get the fuck out the room. Like, so, but again, this is, you know, real. real. How this? If you're Stringer, don't put a hit on Brother Moves On. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. How that went on for yeah, some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that? <laughs> Then, then you don't have to walk in nobody's hospital room for anything. Case, oh. closed, case closed. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. so we. I, I can't wait to get to the the Avon. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to get to Avon stringers. Yeah. we will. Yeah, we can flush some yeah, of it. Out. I mean, that's that's you know that's for as much fun as season two has been, and I've had a lot of fun talking about it. That's the fun of season three. We can fully dive into Stringer Bell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mazzone, yeah, no, in there. The actor, the actor, his name is uh, Michael Potts. He did a tremendous job in, in that scene. His, what else has he been in? Anything else? He was in um, another David Simon thing called um, not the Plot of America. It was a, it was the housing. It was a thing on housing discrimination. I forgot. It was real good though. No, I do not. With Oscar, with uh, Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, that he was in. But other than that, no, he hasn't been too many other things. 
but he yeah, he was good in that too. But yeah, he he was tremendous in this uh, in, in this scene um, without question. Um, Nick Horseface Nat uh, Nick of course is enraged about about uh, about Frank says that you know he was there for you you were never there for him for them for him and now you're not there for them which you know uh, you know kind of makes doesn't make too much sense Nick but you know this is uncle so I, I give him a pass um, they you know they kind of restrain him from going after the Greek which yeah, I, I don't think he ever was serious. Greek, he just his dad. He just found out his dad just got his throat slit. His uncle, yeah, that's his uncle. Yeah, he just found. No, he, no, I said I give him a break. I give him a pass on. Give him a pass. Give him a pass. He give doesn't pass. know what he's doing. No, I give him a pass. Um, his father comes in, and says, you know, let's go, and uh, um, and he walks out. Um, and he walks out. Uh. What are your thoughts? Quick scene, but what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it's a very quick scene, and it absolutely is a whole bunch of setup. I just got to say, I love this scene. I always have loved this scene and will always continue to love this scene because that's just that. I just want to clip that scene and just show the power of that dominant male role model in your life. Whoever that positive, just that, for, just the that, like, you know, he's ah, three people to hold him back. All, all dad has to do is show up. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you watch both of the interaction. I love it. He just kind of like walks through and looks at Nick, and then you just see Nick's shoulders like just yeah. relax a little bit, and he slouches up and, and come on, get up. He's <laughs> like, we're not doing this. If yeah. I, I just, I was just like, ah, that is, that's a great example of just that is what that powerful male role model, fig, male figure, role model, whatever, in your life, that's what that is. That's exactly what it looks like. When you're at your most upset and your most irrational, that person can just come in and just by their presence, chill you out. So you have Bubbles, who it feels like we haven't seen in a while. Um, yeah, it's been a while. Bubbles, Johnny, attempt to steal drugs from the ambulance. Johnny, of course, fails miserably as a lookout. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably yeah, not. Yeah. Best, probably not the best interest to have another crack. Yeah, yeah. Heroin <laughs> addicts don't make great lookouts. Don't make great lookouts. That I think, <laughs> I think we all could agree. I think everybody. Could and our old friend, old friend Sammy, was peeping the whole thing the whole time. Sammy saw it coming from a mile away across yeah. the street. So Tangelo. Yeah. <laughs> so he Sammy. Was Kudos, kudos to Sammy for uh, <laughs> for doing some good police work. Yeah. You, know, you know, so Sammy buses them, and then uh, let me see. Yeah, they get they get arrested, get caught by Santangelo, and then and then Bubbles had the line, "Good looking out, Johnny." <laughs> good looking out, Johnny's just out of it. Uh, yeah. Like, like he don't even know that didn't even know what was going on. He was high. That's why he was high. <laughs> so they get they get arrested. Um, then we move on to uh, the detail. Landsman Russell. They see uh, they go back to the crime scene. They at the crime scene. They see Frank's body. Of course, Russell, having known him for a long time, was a, was emotional um, as she looked at his body by herself. Um, as she walked up to the body and saw it. Uh, um, 
just and this this is a this course is who's this girl's name? Amy Wine. Just a tremendous job at just you know one tear wipes it off. It, it was just it was just tremendous acting in that in that in that brief scene that she did. Like you could feel, you know, you could feel that connection because they and they she genuinely liked Frank, um, liked Frank. Um, and you could tell, you know, you could tell how, how, how definitely how hurt she is uh, in that scene. But that, but again, not didn't overdo it. It wasn't, you know, it's not, you know, snot bubbles or anything like that. But I, I thought she did a tremendous job with it in this in this quick scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, uh, Amy Ryan, and I know her, of course. Uh, yes. And yeah, she she's definitely a fantastic actress and did a fantastic job in showing that emotional connection to Frank. Herc and Carver are outside Nick's parents' house talking about their futures. And of course, this is ultimate setup as we see how this plays out over the episode. Um, you have Valchek and Daniels. You have Valchek and Daniels. Um, well, let me get back to Herc and Carver real quick because, you know, Herc is going, basically going ham about Daniels this and Daniels that. Carver's like, well, Daniels is not that bad. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts on that on that interaction from that standpoint? Uh, that's oh, because we're gonna get into the resolution of that later on in this episode. Balchek and Daniels. Uh, Balchek tells Daniels about. Uh, uh, Daniels tells Balchek about Frank. Then they get into the conversation about Prez and his future. Uh, Balchek allows him to allows Prez to stay. Uh, with Daniels in return for an apology and that he also arrives in front desk for a week. And we see that, like Valchek, he was, and the, first of all, the guy, the guy who played Valchek did a tremendous job all season long. Yeah. I forgot what his name is, but he, he, he plays the shit out that role, but he, you can just see how, just, just how petty, how petty this dude is. And just, I mean, just in how much, you know, how much his ego just, you know, it was a remarkable with Valchek. Because Valchek, you're talking about, now, you're talking about your nephew, not your nephew, your son-in-law. He says, well, a punch that would have got his, his ass whooped if he wasn't, if he wasn't taking my daughter, my daughter's feelings in consideration. <laughs> and then even Dave was like, yeah, he was wrong, but you did, you did call him a shit bird, <laughs> a shit bird in front of everybody. You address him as shit bird. Um, but Daniels, again, Daniels, similar to season one, when Daniels got his way with keeping the officers that he wanted, wanted to keep, he gets his way with, uh, with, 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 uh, Carver, not Carver, with, with Prez as well as, you know, Daniels is kind of snickering as, you know, as Valchek says, you know, if he wants to piss his, piss his career away in your unit, then so be it. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Um, yeah, uh, this, this felt like, you know, like, it, this felt like set up for next season. This also felt like Daniel's getting a little bit in on Valchek, messing with him a little bit, and then also setting himself up for success. Yeah. 
you see uh, we see go to Lou, Nick, and Freeman. Nick turns himself turns himself in in front of Freeman. Freeman recognizes the name as he's going to get the uh, photos of the body parts. Now, so they go to police stations, Nick and his father. And it wasn't, a, I mean, we've seen police stations be busier. It was, it was a couple of things going on, regular, you know, regular traffic. But they're like, hey, hello, my son, my son has a warrant. Hey, <laughs> like it, I thought that was that was the hilarious part of that, that scene. That from that standpoint, that like basically took them forever to get the attention of the officer at the desk, at the uh, at the desk to say, "Hey, my son wants to turn himself in. He has a warrant." Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, we go to Bubbles and Johnny, Kima and McNulty in the waiting room. Um, we'll talk about that more. Uh, they were just uh, this was a, uh, a quick scene before they um, they'll have some further conversation um, later on. Um, well, matter of fact, no. This yeah, they actually they were talking for this scene. They again, Kim was upset at Bubbles. Kim was upset at, at at Bubbles, and Bubbles basically says. You know, when you was, you know, when you were sick, I, uh, when you got shot, I was, you know, I was worried and concerned about you. Bubbles, Bubbles is at a low point right now. He's, he's, a, he's in a bad stretch. You notice the makeup and you notice how his, his rough he was looking. He's, he's, he's not, you know, he's in a, he's in a, what, a valley right now. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's, yeah, it, but like, Bubbles is bubbles is bubbles. He's fully bubbles. Yes. At, at this at this point, there's no he not yet. He's fully in his addiction. Yeah, Spiros and the Greek um, discussing their plans and the uh, shipment on the docks. They decide to leave us the, the last drug shipment on the docks. Uh, they also call out the hitman from killing killing Herc. Excuse me, he's killing Nick as Herc and Carver are sleeping in the car. Um, what, what were your thoughts? Uh, ta -da. Burrell, Daniels, Perlman, and you have Burrell, Daniels, Perlman, the FBI, and Ross. They get an update of the Sabaka case. The bodies have yet to be cleared, and Daniels then finds out, finds out that Nick Nick Sabaka has turned uh, himself in. A lot of, a lot of moving pieces in that office there. A lot of, there was a lot of moving pieces and a lot of agendas in that office um, with all those particular groups. Um, what were your thoughts? Wait, does Scott have seen again? This is Burrell, Daniels, Perlman, the FBI, and Rawls. Yeah. Getting the update on Sabaka, getting the update on the Sabaka case, and the bodies. Rawls is complaining because his bodies have not been cleared yet. Right. And then Daniels finds out over okay. a phone call that the bot that uh, that Nick Sabaka has turned himself in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that that's the one that I wanted. There, there was a previous scene I wanted to connect to this one, that was building up to it 
to where the other stuff, everything that can be wrapped up is being wrapped up except for the bodies. And I think because we were talking about uh, Bunk and the body. Oh, yeah, yeah, the headless, the other headless body. So that's, that was getting us, that was reminding us to get us geared up. Like, oh, there's still this one last piece of information that we got to, we got to uh, get to. And so then this scene is confirming that. Like, uh-oh, yep, lots of different things have been tied up. But we still need to think about these 11 bodies that kind of started this whole thing off. 13 bodies. So you have Bubbles, Johnny, Kimmy, McNulty basically start to uh, give us some more ins give us insight to season three. They tell, they tell Kima, not tell, they, they tell Kima and McNulty that Muzon shot cheese and they, um, they mentioned that they, they saw, they mentioned that you had Eastside drug, Eastside selling in the towers. So again, I, I felt like this was, you know, a, you know, kind of, this, this was kind of like, well, not even kind of, this was absolutely given, you know, they started looking, leaking into, looking ahead to season three with this uh, particular commentary. Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not even looking at, they're doing a transition. This is a full transition episode from, season two to season three. And so, yeah, now they're, they're trying to connect the dots for us. Or, yeah. or connect the dots, connect the dots, yes, that we're supposed to go with. Yeah, the detail, Nick, um, the detail in Nick tells, uh, Nick tells them that Frank went to see the Greeks. He finds out that there was no, Finds out, and then he finds out that there was no way that Ziggy was going to get out. That, that Ziggy was going to get out, as he, you know, Ziggy had signed a statement and, and put himself in, as far as uh, the murder of Double G and shooting the wounding, wounding the other clerk. Um, and I'm sure, so, I'm, and I'm sure, uh, more than likely, the I, the Greeks knew that as well. They offer Nikki a deal. He gives up the entire Greek organization, including uh, White Mike. He gives them uh, gives them a murder in Philadelphia, and they um, they find out that the of course they find out that the guy that they thought was the Greek was definitely not the Greek. And Nick, because Nick they show Nick, Nick they show Nick a picture, and Nick then Nick then Nick gives up the Greek, shows them who the Greek was. Uh, what are your thoughts on Nick taking taking the deal from the uh, from the police? From the police? Yeah, this this kind of brings it all the way around. Um, and uh, I think they even make the comment, Frank was sitting in that exact same oh, spot yes, yep. that you were sitting at. And so that kind of like brings it all the way around. And so like Nick now has the opportunity to start to redeem what Frank has done. And the best place to start is with the truth. And that's where you're starting from. So you have McNulty, Kima, Bubbles, and Johnny. They get freed after giving up the info on cheese. And then they before they leave, they tell them that the product in the towers was good, is good. He says it was shit, now it's good. So again, some more setup into uh next season. Freeman and Fitzhugh, 
uh, find out that the picture in the the picture of the decoy was it was a lawyer, and they also discussed that Nick will be uh, will be in witness protection. Yeah, yeah, Daniels and Marla. So clearly, their their relationship is is you know is basically done. They're sleeping in separate rooms. Daniels gets a call about Nick and in terms of, of being in being in witness protection um, as he goes back in his you know little cubby hole cubby hole uh, to sleep in um, he she closes the door turns the light on and when he gets off the phone with uh, Freeman he goes back in his in his room so some more you know even some more setup for season what where what direction that even his character is going to in terms of season three. Agent Fitzhughes realizes, uh, Agent Fitzhughes makes a call, then he realizes that Agent Kutras was indeed, uh, was indeed a snitch for, uh, for uh, the Greek and realizes that he, you know, realizes that he's been, you know, been taken advantage of as well. Yeah, yeah, this, this was, man. Because so, because I was reading some stuff on this, and there was like one of somebody who writes, you know, does television. Uh, Alan Sipplewall may was making a point that he didn't think Kutras was dirty. He thought Kutras believed that the information that the Greeks were providing him would would generally help them fight help him fight fight terrorism. That's an insane take. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, no, I'm joking. I'm just, yeah. I don't. Uh, I always thought. I, always I know that writer, but here. So my my wondering would then be, well, then why when he has the conversation with the office, and they're like, wait, isn't the San Diego office? Isn't this the Kutros in the San Diego office. They're like, nah. He's like, how long has it been? Like, he yeah. hasn't worked here for a year, for yeah. over a year. Yeah. So, so I mean, my, I mean, by by that, with that information, I, I took it as, hey, this guy used used the dude who's been gone for a year. His name um, kind of infiltrated that dude's identity and his name, and you know, passed himself along as he if he were in were in the FBI. That's how I took it. Yeah, so either or. So if that writer is talking about some imaginary Kutros who we never got a chance to meet or see or anything like the name of Kutros, then maybe. But the person who's wearing his name in whatever format in this series, that dude was a snitch. Right, he was dirty. He's not trying to help nobody out. No, that dude was dirty. Man. It was no, yeah, he was, he was, yeah, he was dirty. Now, I didn't, I didn't see where he had, you know, was one to fight the war on terrorism. Like, no, no, no. that dude, no, he, yeah, that dude was dirty. Even, um, yeah, no, that dude was dirty. That, and I always thought about that. I always thought that way from the time we, you know, got to know he had any connections with the Greek. Um. 
So we go to Herc and Carver, uh, still wearing, uh, still waiting outside Nick's parents' house, only to find out that he's already turned himself in. <laughs> so, ah, uh, Herc and Carver, what were your thoughts on them? Uh, this is not on them. This one ain't. Oh, okay. So this is my, this is my uh, oh, the, communica the communication piece. My connection, yeah. This is my connection to to the the end of it. So. I got on them about not growing, but when they raided Nick's house, they could have done something funny with the money, but they didn't. And then they get into this scene right here, and they get up there, da da da, and dad goes, officers, like, no, we, like, we, we even went with one of the officers. We got the card from, from a unit, right. and then handed to him as Detective Freeman. That's the card. Yes. So, nah, this one ain't on them. This is not on them. They have every right to feel some type of way. Yeah, because they didn't, they didn't, yeah, they didn't. They didn't call them. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I told you. No, yes. I told you. Yeah. yes. The person you're staking out, don't worry about that. He's sitting right next to me. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. that's literally the only reason they're outside the house. <laughs> it's not like they're watching for that's the for the, them to be the stash house or anything they're waiting to serve a warrant yeah. and arrest him yeah so if he's already arrested they literally serve no purpose being there. no they no they wasted time yes. out there. yeah their yeah. time is being wasted yes. <laughs> very much so so that's um, why yeah this one ain't on them oh hurricane call, call them out when they need to be called out but this one ain't on no, this one no you're right this wasn't on them um so you have Nick, Amy, and, and, his, and his daughter. Uh, I think her name is Ashley. Uh, they get set up by the, by the FBI in the motel room, witness protection, the whole bit. Um, I, you know, when I was watching this scene, I was like, damn, what? It just, that must just be the worst to like, like that, like that. I mean, you took, I mean, that has to be. I just, I, mean, I just like, 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 look at this room. Your life is not your own. You know, you might think about somebody looking over your shoulder from that standpoint. Just have to pick up and just start a new life, or not know what direction your life is going. That's is really the first time I thought about that in watching how many times I've watched this scene and watched this series. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, no, not, not good. I've, I've thought about it a bunch of times. Um, so, um, not good. Just not good. Just not, not the life anybody wanted. Consequences. Yeah. So you have, you have the, the detail, Freeman and Russell, uh, looking at the picture of the body parts. Uh, they send, um, Daniels sends Russell and Freeman, not Freeman, Russell and Bunk to Philadelphia to uh, continue that part of the, of the investigation. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, what were your thoughts? This was a quick scene. Yes. Yeah, so. Omar and Butchie. Um, so Omar finds out that uh, finds out that Stringer played him. Um, Butchie says that he should have uh, should not shouldn't have listened to Stringer. Oh no, he said he shouldn't have listened to Private Joe. 
now you have Omar uh, after Stringer. But not knowing, of course, how he's going to come at him. Um, I mean, we can almost not. We can almost somewhat half on the half answer that question we had earlier about why was Omar in that room. I mean, he just no, took, no, took bad advice. Took bad advice from Butchie. I mean, he took. I mean, Butch. If Butchie doesn't. But you get this. You got to dig deeper. No, real. I'm not gonna let you. I'm not gonna let us uh, stay on surface level on this one. So why did Butchie listen to Prop Joe? So why did any of this happen? What? Why? When does Butchie give bad advice? Never. When does Prop Joe make a move without knowing what's going to happen? So how did Omar end up in that room? Hmm. Come on now, let's go, let's go. If we're going to talk about it, let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like just prop. It seems like Prop Joe was at the like was pulling the strings with this. Mm, I'm not even here. So fine, we just I'm just going to have to state it because right now, so. What I my my beginning thesis statement this is not giving anybody else away. I think Butchie, Prop Joe, and Stringer conspired to set Omar up. Now I think there were different conspirings within all of that, and that's why I said season three is going to be a fascinating thing to pull apart. But Omar does not get in that room without all three of them being able to maneuver him in that room. Hmm, that's interesting. Yep. But all of those are predators. Every single one of them are predators. No, Butchie, How do you trick a predator? Butchie, Butchie, Prop Joe, and Stringer. That don't have nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. Come on. That, let's, let's say that. I, you think, so you thought they were working together? That I, those, did. I did. I did. I don't. I, I know, but answer the question: How does Omar get into that room? If we're going to give Omar all the credit for being straight up and you know, uh, Thagus, this is what we are going to do. Then, if we're going to give him all the credit for all that, the only person he trusts in that equation is Butchie. Springer, Prop Joe, and Butchie is Butchie. The only way Omar is getting into that room is if Butchie says it's okay. There's no way he's taking Stringer's word. And there's no way he's taking Pop Joe's word without Butchie whispering, without Butchie vouching it. Which is why Pop Joe went to Butchie. And we know Stringer and Pop Joe were in on it. Yeah, those two would make would make sense. I now the I last see, conversation talking, I, I will say the last conversation we had with Butchie with Pop Joe, Butchie's like, I don't know, I don't trust this. And if this feels to me, these are literally Butchie's words. If this feels to me like it feels now to him, then he's not gonna show up. So what changed? Something changed. Now, have we seen it yet? No. I, I will like good like. I will say I am putting my entire knowledge of the, I'm about to say the office of the wire in here right now. Have we seen it yet? No, which is why I said season three. We're really going to get a chance to pull it apart because all the things we haven't been, or at least I haven't been looking for, will become obvious for me. But 
even that last interaction with Butchie, Butchie was saying he do, didn't trust them. He right. was saying he didn't trust what Prop Joe was saying. I, mean, I just don't know what Butchie's motivation would be. To, I know. I, 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 I agree. So we got some watching to do. We got yeah. some watches. We 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 got we got yeah, we got uh, we got to bet this out. I'm trying. Uh, I'm even thinking. I'm thinking when the series is over, Butchie's loyalty towards, towards Omar. So, I, yeah, yeah. Um, mm, it's interesting. How does Omar get into his room? Because the only other way Omar gets to that room is shitty writing. That's the only other way. Unless there's something I'm not seeing, which I'm willing to go through season three on that, but uh-uh. I don't believe the Wyatt has shitty writing, and I don't believe they're saying the Omar character got suddenly stupid. So if you take those two things out of the equation, how does Omar get into that room, real? See? No, I mean, but I, it makes sense. sense. It, no, I'm it makes it makes sense that he. I'm not saying it's definite, but this no, no, is, this I, is I, now I, where I, I'm at and thinking through things. It, it makes sense that Butchie. It makes sense that he got into that room based off the loyalty with the loyalty of Butchie and Butchie. That something that Butchie told him got him into that room. My thing is, what is why would Butchie risk? His life, Omar's life, to get him knowing, knowing that Muzo could easily kill him, just as much as he just easily he shot Muzo, Muzo could kill him. Like what? What? Like why would that? Is there a price that they that Prop Joe and Stringer could offer him to? I mean, for money? I I don't know the whole thing is laid out like that. I think the whole thing is laid out by the end of season three. So I think just like the show is chess. The characters are chess as well. So you just laid out a very checkered strategy. Nope, not saying that at all. Omar getting to that room is not the end result of the thing. The end result of the thing actually happens. Omar being in that room is the first move. Right. But like I said, we can't have the full-fledged no, 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 discussion no, no, no. without no. discussing the entirety of season three. No, so no, I will just, I'll just keep a lookout while we're watching season yeah, three. No, I, I will be playing close perfect. To uh, yeah, it's the perfect point to to really look and see to those interactions. Yep. Um, Daniels, Herc, and Carver. They complain to Daniel. Complain to Daniels about a lack of respect. Uh, Daniel says, of course, you know, these, these, you know, your work, the work you do is important. Uh, it's part of the job. And then you hear Carver basically, that's basically said that you know, there's a post opening up the Western, Sergeant's post opening up at the Western with, um, I forgot who the, the major, Colvin, yeah. Yeah. Colvin has a, yeah, Colvin has, where a, gonna be? Colvin has a post up opening in, in, in the Sergeant's in the Western. He said, last time I checked, I have stripes. So, you know, we know where that, where that, we know where that's headed. Um, what are your thoughts on their complaints to Daniels? Well deserved. Uh, this, this, so this is. And they're setting up season three, but well deserved. That they had the right to complain. On this one, yes, they did. 
and Daniels tried to he did the he did the horrible supervisor thing or whatever. He should have just said, "Sorry, guys, my fault." He tried to justify it. Yeah, grunt work. As we talked about all the up the nitty gritty stuff, yes, that's valuable police work. You just wasting my time is not valuable police work. No, that's just something you need to say sorry for. So you have uh, Kima McNulty taking picture of Eastside dealers, uh, Eastside drug dealers settling with Westside. Of course, we know we know that's going to lead into next season. Um. Bonk and Russell go to Philly and uh, attempting to, uh, they go to Philly attempting to identify Sergey. Uh, it's a setup. We'll see how that plays out over the course of this episode. That we'll, we'll, we'll find out that that plays, that how that how that exactly plays out. Kima, Cheryl shopping for the baby. Um, Cheryl was about, looked like she was, she was about eight months at this point. Um, She's picking out, looking at little toys. She's into it. Strollers, the whole bit, the whole nine. Kima wants no part of it. Uh, says if a little baby, if a baby can't hold a, you know, it was like a blues cruise. She was looking at a blues cruise box holder for, for a sippy cup or something like that. And she said, Kima, typical Kima fashion, if a little baby can't hold a, a, a can hold a, a drink or whatever, not a drink, but, you know, a little box, a cup, a little box, and we've got real trouble. And then Cheryl, you know, recognizes that Kima is not into it and says, this baby's going to need both of us when for the rest of, you know, for the rest of our lives. Uh, that may not be real to you, but it's damn sure real to me. Or she said, baby, this baby's going to come out of my belly soon. Yeah, that's what she said. Is gonna need us to for the rest of you know for the rest of our lives and said it may not be real to you, but it's damn near sure real to me. And she uh walks away. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, this is the it's either setting up for next season or put or tying or putting a uh period at the end of the sentence. This is the end of their relationship. Yeah, they're in the, they're 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 kind of in the same boat with the, uh, Marla and Cedric Daniels. Yep. Kind of, which is not which, which by the way is no shouldn't be surprising considering, no, not that, they, <laughs> considering that they both chose police work over their respective relationships uh, at the beginning of this season. Uh, so they're both in the both in the same boat from there from basically with similar because of similar choices. Um. Yeah, uh, Nick. Amy, Nick, and the daughter. Ashley, Amy's asking Nick about his future. And I know a lot of you, a lot of you men have been there, done that as far as when your, your woman is talking to you, you just ignore her, pretend to watch cartoons with your daughter. Because <laughs> that's basically what Nick did. Tune her out and just continue to watch cartoons with his daughter. And I felt Nick, I'm like, yo, I felt him not answering. Like, I don't know about our future. I'm trying to live. I don't know. I might be dead tomorrow. Like, I don't know what the future looks like. I, I literally don't know. So rather rather than just curse you out in front of our daughter, I'm just not going to say anything. So I felt I felt Nick in this scene just not responding. Because I don't Yeah. Know. Uh, he was also the one dealing drugs. He was. No, no, no. This is true. <laughs> He's the reason why they're in that position. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that, 
that could have been a, a that could have been a gentle I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like honey, I don't know. I'm yeah. Yeah, there's no way that argument's not getting ugly. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, just, so just don't say anything. Don't Maybe, say anything. Like, just don't say anything. There's nothing to say. There's nothing. Just watch cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's literally nothing. Very, yeah, that was yeah, Nick. Uh, yeah, it, it it wasn't. No, there was nothing could be nothing that he could say. He can't make any promises. He doesn't know. No, no rationalizing, rationalize his actions. So no, there's nothing to be said at that point. Uh, Johnny fifth, Johnny fifty, a horseface. Um, horseface tells Johnny to uh, dump a can. Um, I guess that was kind of, I, I don't know, what you want to say that was a, a class, a call back to Frank, a little bit. Um, but horseface is like, fuck it, dump it. Um, we go to Kima McNulty and Fitz. Uh, Freeman says, uh, and Freeman says that Prop Joe has doubled his re up up 12 kilos as they watch the can disappear again. Um, this will, you know, we'll, we'll flush this out later on in the in the uh, episode with Prop Joe doubling his uh, his uh, his re up. You had any thoughts on the scene? Yeah, um. <laughs> You know, set up for next season. All this is set up for next season. Prop Joe and Spiros uh, discuss business. Uh, Spiros says, of course, they're, they're they're leaving, and he tells them there's you know there's always more more drugs. Uh, says you know, says we um, you know they're so they're still on good terms. They're still in business. Prop Joe, you know, Prop Joe jokingly asks him. You know where y'all headed to, and of course, Spiros doesn't say anything. Gets up and uh, walks away. Uh, again, that would you know some um, setup for the you know for the yep. future, and also yeah for the future. Yeah, everything is set up now. Relationship as well. Daniel's Freeman fits you. Uh, they find the latest shipment of drugs at the docks. Um. Daniels mentions that, you know, if we could have caught on earlier, this case could have had some legs uh, as they, you know, could constantly find themselves a step behind, a uh, step behind the Greeks. Uh, what, were your, what were your thoughts on this scene? Oh, yeah, exactly what you said. Always a step behind. Yep. Always, always a step behind. Um, Avon Stringer in jail. Uh, so, Stringer, Stringer, of course, comes to visit. Comes to visit Avon. They discuss Muzon. Avon rips Stringer for his handling of the situation. He basically blows a gasket when he says that. Um, first of all, Avon's pissed off because number one, um, Muzon, of course, Muzon is out, and of course, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Obviously, doesn't know how it happened. What happened. What, what what transpired, of course, but he knows also knows that Muzon is is no longer, you know, is done with him at this point. So he says, you know, Muzon booked out. We worse off than we was before. Um, you expect to do, you know, you expect you know high paid talent, you know, to, to get the job done. And you know, Stringer is like seemed like he was cool, and Avon's like, I don't give a fuck how he was. I don't give a fuck he was, you know. 
how he was. I went, I, he got paid to do a job. So then they get into the conversation that Ian Muzon was having, and Stringer snaps at uh, not Stringer. Avon snaps at Stringer because the Stringer asked him, asked Muzon who did it. Avon immediately says, "You don't ask a soldier that a soldier like Muzon. You don't ask a soldier like Muzon that either. He gonna tell you, or he gonna go handle it on his own." And then Stringer goes into this, you know, every business has a down cycle. And then immediately Stringer, uh, Avon cuts him off saying, the street is the street, always. And then tells him to go make the deal with Pop Joe, of course, a deal that's already been made. And as they, uh, as they exit, you know, they you know, they normally do their us, us motherfucker, us. Stringer, um, Stringer does it. He puts his, you know, he puts his, uh, the phone to the, um, to the window, says us, and there is a deliberate, deliberate pause by Avon, not only from doing that, but just in his facial expression towards Stringer. And then he says, us, what are your thoughts about the scene and what are your thoughts about that last pause <laughs> with Avon? <laughs> What are my thoughts about this scene? There's so many. That yes, so I have all the thoughts on this scene in that in that us. I have every single thought in the world, but I'm going to try to keep it somewhat brief um, and compact. Uh, so obviously, as we've been talking about, this is definitely setting us up for for next season. Um, and in that, the thought occurred to me as I was listening to you just now is that the next season is the next layer. And so if we're thinking about the bottom layer or like the base, however, however may my analogy all messed up. Um, just, let's, let's go with this. Just the base, foundation, stringer, Avon, Barksdale crew going well, right? Like that's the base, that's them. Then the next layer is, well, what happens if everything isn't so great for them? Well, then what happens if Stringer actually wants to be number one? And then within all these different layers, you start um, adding all the different complications that go along with that. And then so what if this next layer is, um, how Stringer goes about being number one, even when Avon is around, right? So like, that's the next layer. And so like, in part of that layer, in part of this, this discussion, Stringer had to get rid of Brother Muzon so that he could continue this business arrangement. Right. Right, and so, that action right there is, is going to cause so much havoc in itself. And also, I would say, made, um, what's, the, what's the phrase? Friends of bedfellows or what, however that goes. So that's, that's another tick in terms of how him and Prop Joe are together and how him and Prop Joe could cut Butchie in on a dip. Um, so I'm just gonna keep. I'm just gonna keep. That's. I'm just gonna keep banging that drum from now on. Um, and so, uh, so with that being said, uh, 
my only thought, my only new-ish thought was that last us when when Avon hits, does it like he does, pause, like you said, barely hits the window, everything like that. Does he know that Stringer did this? How much or how much of him suspects Stringer's either involvement in this or incompetence in this? I would lean towards incompetence. Um, I, I agree with that. I would lean towards incompetence because I feel like Avon, unlike Stringer, is not – Avon is not about finessing. Avon is going to tell you what's on his mind. He felt like, yo, he felt like Stringer was running some game or doing some slick, some slick shit. I think that he would have just outright came out and said it. Um, and plus, Avon is still – Avon is still doesn't, basically doesn't know what's going on because he said – he said, you know, he says, uh, no, nah, I mentioned this. He says, uh, go make the deal with Prop Joe. Well, that deal was made weeks weeks ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Elon is still kind of. Yeah, yeah, No, no, no. I suspect. Not that he knows. Of course he doesn't know anything. But I agree with you. I agree with you. He probably thinks it's more incompetence what happens, what happened to, to brother than anything. Um, you said something at the very end just now. Oh. But I forgot. We'll pick that back up later. I also think that he, you know, he says, um, he says, run it how you see fit. I'm not oh, even yeah. Gonna I'm not Until even I'm back, that you, we, we zone in on the same because that's what I wanted to say. Exactly. Run it, yeah. run it how you see fit. I'm not even going to argue with you, at least until I'm back up. Time. There you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah, we were zoning on the same line. I was going to circle back to that, too. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, you got it for now. You're number one for now. Yeah. Until you hold you until. I get yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. After that, that was had, a powerful statement. That was a very powerful statement. That was a very powerful statement because it, it's like, yo, this is not a partnership. You are, like, like we're partners, but you there's a there's a hierarchy. I'm still the top. I'm still the top dog. I'm still Avon. I'm still Avon. And you're still like my number two. Yeah. So that's that's what that was. Yeah. You know, even through these bars. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great scene. Love the scene. Those anytime you know when those two have a, that type of scene, and certainly. And just, I mean, well, just wait for season three. <laughs> they will, they'll have their share of those scenes. Um, so we have, we have the detail fits the FBI um, and Russell. They see Sergey on the video in Philly, and they 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 see Sergey on the video in Philly. That video, of course, showed the guy that they caught and killed in episode two. The one that died in episode two, they didn't kill him. The Greek killed him, slicing his throat. And that's, of course, that was a guy, you know, who they ended up messing up with the, with the body parts. So they, you know, they have, now they have, uh, you know, now they have Sergey dead to rights. Um, what are your thoughts on that, on this scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is closing up the, um, the, the murders. Um, and so I really liked it because that was important to tie up. 
and to see how how that happened. Yeah. Uh, Stringer, Prop Joe. Uh, Prop Joe gives Stringer uh, an update on the re-up. Yep. And as Kima and McNulty take pictures. Yep. And, of course, we will see, you know, season three. Yep. See that that is a season that is for season three. Johnny 50, Matt, Steve Doors, uh, the FBI threatens the union, um, says basically, you know, select new officers or, you know, we're going to shut you down or we're going to, you know, take it over. And I, I, who was the guy that was supposed to take over as treasurer, not Frank, uh, decides, says one man, one vote, takes his name off the list and keeps post Frank's picture as if to pay tribute to Frank or pay his respects to Frank in that way. Um, only if they knew. Uh, what were your thoughts on that scene? Um, I'm going to be very honest. I was not quite listening to you because another thing popped into my head about the Omar situation. All right, um, so do, go, go Omar first. Go ahead. Yeah, I have to go Omar first because just pop, <laughs> right, so what? Because now, now we're now we're all thinking about it. now now yep. we're thinking about it. So what if? Now this is just me just wildly speculating right now, thinking about things. Um, what if they Pop Joe and Stringer approached Butchie from a position of this is a win. This is a win-win for everybody, right? Right. We win. Brother Muzon is gone. We can continue our deal. You win because we will pay you a bunch of money and Barksdale won't be hunting Omar. None of us will hunt him anymore because he would have done this. And Omar wins because he goes in. I mean, Barksdale's no longer hunting him. He goes in and does the job. So my thought as you were talking, this is where I really got deep into the thought. As you were talking, I started wondering, Omar, that line of thinking would have been correct if Omar would have done the thing Omar normally does, burst in and kills you to your dad. Right. Why did Omar pause? Do you, what did, was, so, now, so anyway, so that, that, that's where I stopped. And I was just like, oh, I got to listen. <laughs> so, Omar shoots Muzon, shoots him. You know, I mean, and Omar, of course, we know is a is a killer. So he knows how he he can he he knows that that shot was not going to kill him. So that's, right. why, that's why he says, you know, we got we'll go time. right through. We take went yes. right through. Went right through, and we got time. And Muzon, yeah. Muzon, Muzon says, you know, no longer. He said, no longer to Muzon says, yeah. uh, don't prolong this. Just get it over with. Yeah. But Omar's like, we got time. So the pause to, so I, I get a sense, I, I get a sense with these two dudes, like real recognizes real. Like you, you're talking, you're talking about two killers. You're talking about two dudes who are efficient and who are authentic in their actions and what they do. So when Muzon, Muzon wasn't begging for his life at all, not in the least bit. Muzon, no, no. look, this is not my style. But your boy, this is not my style. You got some bad information. 
But if you're gonna do what you're gonna do, then get it. Let's get it over with. I'm at peace. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, like, got shot. Not, like, that's what happened. Moves on. Um, I get I'm that. At, I'm, I'm thinking about like God. how they got how trying to answer my own question. How did Omar end up in that room? Could it be that Omar needed to verify with moves on? And that was the only way he could think to get in there. And so in that type of mindset, then that takes Butchie out the equation because then Butchie doesn't have to try that hard. All Butchie has to do is suggest or let him know so you, so you feel like you think that I mean, after me. So, blah, so you, you feel ahead, like right. Omar needed to, he needed to speak to Muzon to like to get the to verify, to verify whether or not that Stringer, Stringer was, was full of full of it. Yeah, yeah. He needed to. He needed to have that type of recognition. That yeah. takes Butchie off the hook then it can just squarely lie with Stringer and uh, Prop Joe. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, I'm starting. Like, I, I agree with you. Like, my the whole flaw in everything is not whole flaw, but I agree with, I agree with your sentiment with Butchie and think about Butchie. And I've always agreed with that. And so even as I was thinking about this, I was like, it doesn't make sense to me that Butchie's involved, but then it also doesn't make sense to me that Omar's in that room. Like, neither of those two things make sense to me. So the only way to get Omar into that room would be, would be with Butchie's involvement. So that's how I got on that one. But now I'm thinking Omar put himself in that room so that he could look on in the eye. Like, that's part of the code or something. Anyways, like I said, it was a thought I was thinking right in this moment. So I haven't flushed it out. But that takes Butchie out of the equation. That would take, yeah, that would take Butchie off the hook. So anyways, we still have all the season three. That just, it's just now it's all the I mean, anything, like, for real, for real, anything anything is possible when you're dealing with Prop Joe, Stringer, and Butchie. Those are three... Manipulators, those are three people that understand the game. Well, and also Omar and, and, and brother. And brother because was, brother, yeah. by not accepting the fee, he's saying very clearly something was up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a manipulation on its own. You mean when you mean when, when, when Butchie when not Butchie, when um when, uh, on, just says, nah, Yeah, we said good with you, all the everything. Right. Yeah. Nah, you keep your money. Yeah, keep your money and I'll take care of them. Yeah. Care of them. All of that was was manipulation. Cause he could have he, he could have Stringer would have been happy to pay him. Absolutely. Yeah, no. So he no. could have easily have taken the money. Right. Right. But he's not just worried about Stringer. He wants word to get back to Avon, get back to other people out there in yeah, the so, community of drug. No, so to <laughs> this high end drug dealing. To your point, to the to this end too. With you, we bring something up. You mentioned something. You mentioned Avon's name. He might have felt like, all right, Stringer fucked me over, but 
he definitely wants before he before he takes any action, he definitely wants Avon. Uh, he definitely wants to, he wants to vet it out before he does anything through Avon. He wants Avon to know. So I definitely think he wanted to have he, he wanted to have a conversation with Avon. Like I don't think I I don't think he was going to take any action before that. He he's definitely he's he's definitely playing a playing a long game from that standpoint. I mean, yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely that. But I also think that um that uh there's some type of honor code in it where he needs to, he needed to know, he needed to know that it was Stringer. Right. And brother was the one that was going to give him that most direct access. All right, you want to give me your MVPs real quick? Or? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you my MVPs of this episode. Um, season episode. We can do the season and the episode, actually. Oh, whoa, wow. Okay, so um, the MVP for the episode um, oh, and I, oh, I just had it too. Um, we started talking about Omar so much. Um, oh, the MVP for the MVP for the episode is Freeman. Sorry. Um, he single-handedly brought in the, the homicides. Um, he was the one that initially noticed on the wire, no heads, no face. He's the one who started calling around, and that line led them to Philadelphia, and then they go to Philadelphia, and yada, yada, yada. Um, so Freeman's my MVP uh, for, for that reason, more than traditional MVP sense. Um, and my Chardin Award is Michael K. Williams. I had, uh, I had the Greeks, and I had Brother Muzon for Chardin. Oh, that's right. Yes. Nope, I agree. Switch. Yep. Moves on. That face on the floor after you shot and that whole conversation. Yep. Nope. Yep. And for the season, I had Frank Sabaka and I had Chardine. I had Ziggy. Yeah. 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 So uh, Ziggy is my MVP. Period. Okay. For the season? And Oh, yeah. This is the Ziggy season. Come on now. That's not even, that's not, not even, uh, that's not even a thing. And um, I'll probably go like, if, if I'm doing like the Chardin award, um, then I want to keep it in that space of just like an actor who's not normally recognized, but who did like a consistently fantastic job on the show. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go to our boy that we were having an argument over, but every single time, he came on the scene, the fourth uh, Sabaka, um, the brother. Lou, Lou. Yeah. Okay. Every single time he came on the scene. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Pause. Not Lou. You talking I, about? No, no, I have to go to another level because I was going to try to relate him to like Omar in with even limited scenes. Sorry, it's brother moves on. Moves on. Moves on. Moves on. I don't know. I forgot. I don't know. I think I was already overthinking to season three, attaching moves on to season three. It's moves on. That's the Chardin Award. Every scene he's in. He destroyed. No, he did. I guess not, that's not even a, that's not, shouldn't have even been a contest. He did. Well, we made it through season two. Yeah. We will be, we will check out, we will check everybody out next time for season yes. three, time after time. This 
and I'll, you know, I'll give my thoughts on season three as we, when we open it up on my overall thoughts on terms of it going the introduction part. Uh, Cause it's basically my, it is basically my favorite season to watch. It, it really is. I'm not saying it's the best, but I'm saying it's Go. my favorite yeah. season to watch. Um, it is, it is tremendous um, to watch it, to watch everything <laughs> unfold. It is tremendous. And, you know, the introduction of cat, new characters is, yep. yeah, it is yep. phenomenal. All right, Mr. Sapp. All right, sir. All right, I will see you next Have time. Good one. Be safe, be healthy. No doubt. Later. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of The Real Deal Podcast. We made it two episodes. Two episodes. Uh, episode 11, Bad Dreams. Episode 12, Port in a Storm. Um, season two, to me, I look at season two as just one of probably one of the most under, underappreciated seasons in the history of the show. It really was. It is a phenomenal season. It is a season that if you're a Wire fan, you don't like season two. I don't consider you to be a real Wire fan. I really don't. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Real Deal Podcast, the Wire Remix. I will see you next time. I'm out.